You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. All right, good morning, Radiant Church. Hey, if you are new with us, uh, welcome. My name is Marco. I'm the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Thank you so much for making Radiant a part of your weekend. We are so glad that you are with us. If you haven't been with us since like a year or so, (laughs) welcome back. We're so glad to have you. And uh, again, thank you for making Radiant a part of your weekend. And our prayer is that you would just meet with God, encounter God in a very significant and special way this morning. Well, listen, today we are in the middle of a series in the book of Acts And Acts is in the New Testament, and we're calling this a Spirit-empowered church. We're looking specifically about the first church, the origin of church, and we're trying to figure out what is church supposed to look like, right? Today in 2021, what are the things the church should be doing? What does it look like to be a part of a church? What should it look like at Radiant Church? And last week, if you were here, which was an amazing week, we had packed out this place with so many people for child dedications, by the way. It was amazing. We started talking about a specific question, and that is, what does a spirit-filled church look like? What does a spirit-filled church look like? And I said, there are five marks of a spirit-filled church, or five characteristics. Last week, we covered two of them. Today, we will cover the, the other three. I'll I'll review those first two very quickly, but I would love for you to go back on YouTube and watch that message, watch that service, catch up, uh, download the podcast on your favorite device. But I want to just dive right into Acts 2.42, and let's look at these few verses that we have uh, been looking at for the last couple of weeks. Remember, the writer of Acts is Luke, and Luke is a, a physician, he's a doctor, he's a bit of a historian. He's gathering these accounts of what the early church looked like. And so here's what it says, Acts 2.42. Luke writes this. He says, they, who's they? They's, they is the disciples, just in case you're, you're wondering who is they. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is what the early church, this is what they were doing, by the way. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. We, we, we sang about that this morning, didn't we? This is a house of miracles. That was very appropriate for our message today, by the way. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They were always with one another. They broke bread in their homes where they had food together and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, okay? This is what they were, they were doing this all the time, okay? Praising God, enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord, this is significant, and the Lord added to their number daily. Every single day, God was adding to the church. More people were becoming Christians. So amazing, right? Added to their number daily those who were being saved, saved from their sins, saved from death apart from Jesus Christ, okay? 
That's what Luke is trying to say to us here. Let's take a few moments, let's pray together, and then I'll review those two, those first two marks of a Spirit-filled church, just in case you, you haven't been with us or um, whatever reason it was you weren't with us last week, okay? I'll review those and then we'll dive right into the other three marks. What does a Spirit-filled church look like? We need to figure that out because we need to figure out why is church so significant, okay? If you've been absent for the last year or two, I hope these verses change, it changed something in you and that you wouldn't just see the church as a sort of commodity that's just, it'll be there when I get there. But I pray it's something, it'll be, it'll be something more significant in life, transforming, life changing, okay? Let's go ahead and pray and let's ask God to do only the work he can do. So Heavenly Father, we have come with hearts that are open and hearts that are humble. Lord, we, we are ready to receive, God, and just, man, I, I'm ready. Lord, I need, I need you, Okay. Lord, I need you this morning to speak through me. I'm a little tired from this week. I, I need you to minister to your people. Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would open up eyes and minds and that you would harden, or you would not harden, you would soften. That's right. It caused some of your attention. I'm good. You're awake, that means. You would soften our hardened hearts, Lord. There are so many things that can harden our hearts, Lord, and sometimes it's heartache, and sometimes it's pain, uh, and sometimes it's just distraction, God. Sometimes it's just busyness, Lord, whatever it is, God. There, there are so many things and baggage, God, that we have in our lives. Some of us might be trying to escape things, um, and so there's like, there's a little bit of alcohol abuse in our lives, maybe. Uh, maybe there's like drug abuse. I don't, I don't know. I'm just sensing the Lord right now, uh, and we're trying to escape. And so, God, we need you to soften hearts this morning so that we can bring everything. Just like we said, we sang it together. Everything at the feet of Jesus. Everything at the feet of Jesus this morning. Come on, church, agree with me. Everything at the feet of Jesus. Yes, and amen, God. Everything. God, we, we, we give you our kids at the feet of Jesus. We lay them down. We give you our finances. We give you our lives. We give you our, our crowns, it's our job titles, the way that other people see us as important. We, we, we give you our crowns and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. God, we surrender and we humble ourselves at the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we say, have your way, King Jesus. Have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. It's nothing like when the Holy Spirit starts to invade your prayer. Woo! Come on. All right. Last week, if you were with us, or you weren't with us, either way, we talked about the first two marks. What does a spirit-filled church look like? The first thing we said is a spirit-filled church is a learning church. It's a learning community, right? It's a, my prayers, specifically, is that we would be a church filled of teachers and students. Come on, right? Teachers and students, disciples at the feet of Jesus, disciples Hungry for the word of the living God. And listen, we also learned that if we're going to be students, that takes humility, okay? Because listen, humility and learning go hand in hand. That if you want to learn anything, let's just say you want to change the, the, the brake pads on your car, okay? Um, you need to humble yourself and watch a few YouTube videos, right? You need to humble yourself and uh, call Justin Stilson, who knows how to do everything, right? Amen, right? Someone says, 
And he'll teach you, okay? He may charge you an hourly rate, but he'll teach you, okay? So you'll humble yourself. If you want to learn how to play guitar, you might want to call Adam Arnold up. And that's only $35 an hour. But he'll teach you how to play guitar, and you'll play like Eddie Van Halen after just a few weeks, okay? But you need to humble yourself before the Lord, right? So the early church was a learning community. We also learned that the early church was a loving community. Because why? Because learning and loving also go hand in hand. Learning and loving also go hand in hand. And, and Luke tells us that this church, they met together daily. This was like, and, and just, you know, give me some grace here. But some of y'all, it's hard for you to, to join the, together with the church once every week. And the early church was together all the time. And that should, I want it to be a little bit of a, a conviction over you, if that's the case with you. I want that conviction over your heart right now. I want the Spirit to speak, right? Because these, they were meeting together daily. They were sharing meals. They were praying. They were learning. They were taking the Lord's Supper together. They were worshiping. They were hanging out, just having a good old time. You know, tonight we're going to have a couple uh, two different couples over our house tonight, and we're going to have some pizza, and we're just going to hang out. There's no agenda. There's just going to be some laughing, some conversation, some pizza, and that's what the church does, right? We gather with other believers, and we just hang out. We do life together. We eat some good food or some junk food, whatever it is, right? And we just do life together, and that is a mark of the church. So let's move on to uh, our third mark. Of what makes a spirit-filled church, okay? All right. Number three, they were a generous church, okay? They were a generous church. I want you to look at verse 45 with me once again. It says this. Luke writes, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need, okay? They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So what Luke is telling us here in this passage of Scripture I want you to just catch the idea here, is that the early church took care of one another, okay? The early church took care of one another. Now, um, I'm going to talk about some outreach um, a little bit later on in my message today. We're going we're gonna to do that as a church together. But I want to talk about first just taking care of the body, just one another, okay? This is a one another sort of thing in the New Testament, that we take care of one another. Another. They sold property. They sold possessions. Why? So that they could help their brothers and sisters in Christ. And whenever a need rose up, they would determine, figure out who was going to sell what. And then they would right, put that money in a pool at the apostles' feet. And they would figure out where it needed to go, basically to help one another out. Right Now, I, I want to say this just be because it's so tempting for us, I think. Two, read our, read our modern experience into the text, our modern lens into the text. And, and I, and I want to be careful that we don't do this with this text because I think for some of us, we can think, oh, okay, so is that a little bit like socialism or like communism, Marco? And the answer is absolutely not, okay? Um, this was not some forced political system or economic system being implemented. Let me make that clear, okay? So I, I, many commentators have talked about this, but this was voluntary, contemporary, and discretionary. Let me, let me describe those things very quickly. Voluntary means this, that they simply, I mean, it, it wasn't forced, okay? It wasn't forced by 
some sort of political system or economic system. It was totally voluntary. Contemporary means that it was contemporary to the first century. Um, so socialism, communism did not exist in the first century back in that day. So we can't read that into the text, okay? Discretionary simply means this, is that the disciples, they had the power and the freedom to choose, okay, based on their own judgment. They had freedom to choose based on their own judgment. And Luke makes it clear that this radical lifestyle, you guys, this radical lifestyle was the result of the outpouring of the Spirit. It was not the result of a government system, okay? Let's not read our own experience, our own sort of contemporary um, thought into the text. This was not like socialism, okay? Now, when we look at the book of Acts, um, sometimes when we read Acts, I think um, here is a common question that you have and I have. Marco, is Acts prescriptive or is it descriptive? What does that mean? Well, I'll describe that, okay? Well, let's start with the first one. Is it descriptive? That just simply means, is it describing, just simply describing the way things were for the early church in, you know, in the New Testament? Is it just a description of what took place, okay? Is it that, or is it prescriptive? Is it telling us the exact way that we should do things today, okay? Well, I, I think, in my humble opinion, this is just me, I think it's a, a little bit of both, a little bit of both, okay? But it's really the principle behind what we see in the text that we should apply to our own lives. It's the principle, okay? So let me just say this. What this text doesn't mean is this. What this text doesn't mean is that we should all sell all of our homes and all of our possessions and all live in a commune. Can someone say amen? Amen, all right? You're, you're happy about that. I'm happy about that, all right? I don't necessarily want to be your roommate either. You don't want to be my roommate, okay? We don't want to, it's a little bit less David Koresh and a little bit more the New Testament, okay? If you don't know who David Koresh is, don't even worry about that, okay? All right. <laughs> so it's not telling us, listen, that we need to all sell everything and then move into a commune, okay? That's not actually what Luke is trying to tell us here. It's the principle, again, behind the text, which is more important, and let me just say this. The point actually is generosity. Okay, generosity. That's, that's the point. Now, there's two types of generosity that I want to speak of for a few moments here. And, and the first is generosity within the church, within, within the people of God, the body of Christ. Okay, let me, let me talk about that for just a few moments here. And um, let me just say this. So many of you, you give to the work here at Radiant Church, to this ministry, to, to, to lives being changed here, the lives that are touched through Radiant Church, you give to this ministry, and it's making such a difference. So let me just say thank you. So many of you are generous with what you give, and, and you give the tithe, and, I, and man, that's so amazing because that's so counterculture. Let me just say that right now. It's so counterculture, right, to give the tenth. And the tenth is just, it just means 10% of what comes into your income. You figure that out, and you give a tenth to the work. In the, in the storehouse, as Malachi 3 says it, in the local church, uh, so it can be used for the purposes of God. You give back to God because God has already given so generously to you. That is radical. That's a radical lifestyle. And I just want to say thank you for that. That is simply amazing. You're filled with faith. And, and I, I love you. I appreciate you. 
And, and, and listen, if you're not doing that, I, I just want to encourage you and challenge you to do that. I get that the pushback is always, Marco, there's no, there's no number in the New Testament. And you're right. But there is Matthew 23, 23, which says, you Pharisees give a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin, but you lack the greater issues of mercy and justice. And Jesus is already acknowledging that the Pharisees give a tenth of what they have in their possession, right? Beside the fact that in Genesis 14, quick Bible lesson for you, it predates the law Abraham gives to Melchizedek, who, by the way, you can do your homework. Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus, a priest, okay, an early picture of Jesus. And can I just say to you, Genesis 14 is long before Exodus 19 and 20, on, before Mount Sinai, where the law is introduced, okay? So the tithe, I, I say this to people, it predates the law, it supersedes the New Testament. It's a, it's a principle. We don't give because of law, we give under grace. Now listen, I believe, this is my conviction, this is what I teach here, and some people don't like that, right? And I get that, which, whatever, right? So this is my conviction. My, my conviction is that true generosity happens or begins after the, t- after the tenth. Right, we give a tenth to the local storehouse, and then you give above and beyond that as an offering to what? Well, whatever you want to give. You want to give to Compassion Ministries. You want to give to your local um, food pantry. You want to give to a neighbor who needs help with groceries. You want to give to an organization. You want to give to end um, slavery, modern-day slavery. All, all worthy, worthy things to give our money to, by the way, Okay. That's the way that my wife and I live our lives. I, I know for a fact that's the way that many of you live your lives. And that's radical generosity, okay? And I want to just encourage you to live that way. Some of you are thinking, Marco, it's impossible. It's impossible because you have an $800 truck payment. That's why. So you might need to just rearrange things in your budget, uh, realign, reprioritize uh, possessions or status symbols in order to live this sort of lifestyle. Now, again, this is radical generosity. And I don't say to live like this because me and, me and my wife live like this. I say to live like this because I think this is, this is the model or the basis for biblical generosity, okay? And so I just want to encourage you in that direction. And let me just say this. Um, the Lord allows us to live this way because we've started to live this way. And when you start by faith to live that way, I believe by faith that the Lord will enable you to live that way as well. But, but it takes a radical step of faith, right? And so let me just say thank you for your generosity, Radiant Church. So many of you are generous. And if you haven't started there, I, I would just challenge you, take that plunge, take that next step and begin to give the 10th. Look at your paycheck and say, okay, honey, what's the 10th? Boom, it starts here. We're going to give to the storehouse, to the kingdom of God, and then we're going to watch God radically provide for us and through us and see what a difference that will make, right? Amen. That's right. So I am unapologetic about this message, by the way, okay? I am unapologetic. Absolutely. This is the way I think um, biblical generosity takes place, okay? Now, the second part of generosity is what I want to talk about as well, and that is, um, this is the offering or giving above and beyond the tithe. Which, that's what we're going to have the opportunity to do as a a body. I want to talk about that. We have an opportunity this season to partner with the United Way and to help families here in Bay County 
who um, have limited income, who have experienced distress in their in their in, the, in, the, in recent you know in the recent time, and we're going to come alongside of the United Way with other organizations, and we're going to help to bring together items so that these families can be blessed. This is above and beyond. This is what I like to call mercy. Okay, there's generosity, and there's also mercy. You see, I, I, I think that. I think that the scripture sets a precedent that we're supposed to actually take care of the body first, okay? The Apostle Paul says this in Galatians, to do good to all people, but especially those of the household of faith, okay? We're supposed to take care of one another. That's actually a priority in scripture. But then above and beyond that, we're supposed to show mercy to those who, who need mercy and who need compassion. And so we're going we're gonna to do that this season. It's called the Spark Hope Project And Brittany, if you wouldn't mind putting that slide up, we're going to have a Christmas outreach, and uh, Laura Arnold has helped to champion this outreach and do all the legwork to make it possible for us. But I want to just describe for you what that will look like. We're, we're, we're partnering with local organizations, and we're going to, basically, there's going to be these laundry baskets. Inside the laundry baskets will be um, non-perishable food items, personal hygiene items, and also some cleaning items for necessities for their home, like paper towels, Kleenex, things that you use every single day, okay? So what we're going to do as a church is we're going to gather just four items, okay? Just four items. You can go to that next slide quickly. We're going to, for the next couple of Sundays, we're going to gather these four items, okay? Dishcloths, dish towels. Now, I didn't know the difference between those. My wife had to teach me what, all right? So husbands, if you have... If you, I was like, babe, what's that? What's the difference between, okay, dishcloths, dish towels, paper towels, and Kleenex or, or, you know, tissue, face tissue, facial tissue, okay? The goal is this. The goal is 150 dishcloths, 150 dish towels, 150 paper towels, 150 box, boxes of Kleenex. Do you, you guys think that we could reach that goal? That's, yeah, I think it's super easy, right? Yeah. Now, if we get more, that's fine. We'll, like, more will go to these families in need, okay? So for the next couple of Sundays, I want you to come in. And now, here's my challenge to you. Every household of faith here, okay? So that means every, you know, married couples, families, whatnot, whatnot at least bring one of each, okay? So come in with one dishcloth, one dish towel, one roll of paper towel, and one box of Kleenex. Now, if you just at least do that, that's phenomenal, you can do more. That's totally fine with me, okay? But at least do that. And so next week, you're going to drop your items off at guest services, okay? Guest services is going to help sort of gather those items. And then in a couple of weeks, I'm going to come back, come back on stage, and I need about 15 volunteers, okay? 15 volunteers to help put these laundry baskets together. I don't have all the details to that yet, okay? We're working on that on that part, okay? But I'll have details in two weeks, okay? I'll need about 15 volunteers. We're going to gather together on a certain night or after church. We'll figure it out, and we're going to help put all these laundry baskets, probably 150, 200 laundry baskets together full of the non-perishable items, you know, personal hygiene, the stuff that we brought in ourselves, okay? This is what it means to be a generous church. Amen, church? Amen. And then we're going to practice that this, uh, this season for the next couple of weeks, okay? So I want you to accept that challenge, okay? And I want us all to become a generous church. Now, we, I know that we are, okay? I already know that we are. 
But we're just, this is an opportunity for us to, to do it once again this season. And I know it's going to be amazing. And I know that we're going to reach our goal. Amen, church? Amen. Awesome. So let, let me just say this about being a generous church, okay? A couple more things, okay? What if, what would happen in the American church, okay, if we stopped treating the church like spiritual purveyors of goods and services, and rather our attitude was this, rather our attitude was like, was this, I'm looking for somewhere where I can really put my roots down into and contribute in a major way, right? What if we did not treat the church like Target? What if we did not treat the church like Amazon, okay, or whatever your favorite place to shop at is, right? What do I mean by that? We, we, sometimes we, we treat the church, in a, in, and listen, this is, this is a bad sort of habit that the American church, bad rap that the American church has. We treat it simply in a consumer's relationship, okay? Okay? A consumer relationship, okay? But what would happen if we said, you know what, I'm not going to just treat it like a, like a, like a consumer. Now, 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 listen, listen. There should be mutual relationship. You should consume some things here. You should take in. I'm for that, okay? But if, if all it is to you is a consumer mentality, something is wrong. That, that's why we're looking at Acts. Why? So it can correct the way that we think. Because when it corrects our thinking, it'll correct our action. Okay? So that, mean, that means... What would happen, listen, if we treated it more like a place that we said, you know what, I'm looking for a place where me and my family can come. And yes, we want to hear great preaching. And yes, we want to worship. And yes, we want to do outreach. Amen. I'm all for that. Let's go, right? Let's do all that. And yes, we want to have small groups. And yes, we want to learn good Bible teaching. Yes, yes, yes. But we also are here to give something to make a difference. We're here to make an impact I'm showing up with what? I'm showing up with my time. I'm showing up with the talents that God's given me, and I'm showing up with my treasures, right? And I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm saying, I'm here to give something so we can see lives be changed in our community, right? Right? Come on, somebody. I'm getting fired up a little bit right now. Woo! Okay, I'm going to come down. Come down a little bit, right? Here's what would happen if we did that. I'll tell you what would happen. Somebody asked me, what would happen, Marco? Here's what would happen. We'd have more finances to do more ministry, okay? We'd have more people serving at church, right? And, and we would make a greater impact, and we would truly be the regionally influencing church that I believe God is calling us to be. We are not, can I, let me just say this. We are not called to just influence and impact Bay City. Hear me when I say this. We're supposed to influence and impact an entire county, cities, in the name of Jesus. Amen? Okay? So we're supposed to be a regionally influencing church, and I believe that's what God is calling us to do, right? So when we begin to put God first in our lives and with our finances, everything seems to fall in place because I know for some of you this is like... Gosh dang it, like, I don't know if I can do this. Marco, that you want a tenth? Like, 
I give you a fourth. Like, we're giving 40%. I feel like that's pretty good because me and my wife are doing well. Yeah, but like, maybe like, okay. But, what, but just listen to me for one second, though. When you begin to, begin to put God first in that area, it's crazy. Things begin to fall in place. Matthew 6.33, but it takes faith. It takes faith. You got to put it into practice. It takes faith. Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be given to you as well. Okay? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Okay, we'll move on. <laughs> the early church was generous. The fourth thing that we see is this. They were a miraculous church. Notice verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles, okay? And my prayer here is this, my prayer is this, my prayer is that God would just simply increase our expectation of him to work in our midst, okay? That God would increase our expectation of him to do miraculous works in our midst, in our families, right? It's it's the kind of expectancy, church, in the kind of attitude that says this. Listen, I'm gonna, we're gonna lay hands on people to be healed. We're gonna, um, we're gonna pray for prodigals to come home, and we just expect that God's gonna move. We just, we just expect that God is gonna work miracles. It's this sort of attitude that says, if he healed then, he'll heal now. It's an attitude that says, if he provided then, he'll, prov- he'll provide now. It's an attitude that says, if he did it then, he'll do it now. Right? This is the expectation that, that I, I want us to grow into and, and to have as a church. Now, listen, I get it. It's true that we may not see God answer prayers exactly the way that we want him to. Because God is not a genie in a bottle. He is a sovereign Lord. Amen? He's a sovereign king. So we don't, Lord, we don't ring the bell and just say, God, do my bidding. That's not how it works. He's sovereign. He's over all creation. He's over us. But we, I promise you, we will see God work all things out for our good and for his glory. Okay? For our good and for his glory, okay? Now, I want to give you, I want to teach on this for just a few moments because I want to give you some theological context, okay? A little bit of theological context, so to help us understand how do we frame miracles, signs, and wonders right now in the modern church in 2021. Now, I want to use a picture or a graphic to help teach this. If you could put that up right now if you wouldn't mind. All right. I want to teach on this for a few moments because right now there's a, there's a bit of a tension in the age that we're living in right now, okay? You see, we're actually living at what theologians call sort of an in-between time, or look right in the middle of that chart. It says the already, but not yet, okay? The already, but not yet. This is a huge a theme in the Bible, theological concept that when you begin to learn this, it starts to open up Scripture, and it starts to, you start to understand Scripture like in a, in a way that you've never understood Scripture. So let me, let me explain this. I want you to just simply look and and. We're living, to make it very simple for you, we're living in between two different times, okay? We're living on, on my left between the first coming of Jesus, right? Remember, we, we know this, right? But we're also living between the second coming of Jesus. We're living in this time in between. It's called the already, but not yet. So let me, let me explain that for you, okay? 
Here's what we know. Let's talk about the already. The already is this. We, we, we know that Jesus has already defeated sin. Amen, church? He's no question about that. No question. Jesus has already defeated death. Amen? No question about that, right? He's already paid for our sin, okay? He's already paid for our sin. That is totally, we, we would all agree with that, right? I think all of us would probably agree and believe that Jesus has already paid for our sin. But I think most of us, many of us might say, um, you know what? But I still struggle with sin. And some of us might say, but I still have not experienced breakthrough in an area that I've been praying for breakthrough for a while now. Pastor Marco, I don't have breakthrough in an area. That's really frustrating. I'm growing weary. Some days are just really hard for me. And I would say, I, yeah, that you're, yeah, I think there's many of us there, right? Jesus has already paid for sin, but he has not yet fully dealt with sin like, he, like we know that he will, okay? Someday, listen, we will have glorified bodies, all right, when Christ returns, and we will no longer struggle with sin or with ailments or with, uh, with difficulties in our lives. Amen? We know he's already done a great thing. Okay? Let, let's, th- let's think about death for a few moments. How about death? Let me ask you a, a question, church. Did Jesus win a great victory over death? Yes? Yes. Amen. Hallelujah. We can all agree on that. He was raised from the dead. Absolutely he was raised. Okay? But let me ask you another question. Is death still a thing today? It is. People die. We know this. People get diseases, viruses, sickness, ailments, chronic pain. It's unfortunate. It's very sad. It's completely heartbreaking. And people pass away. What about Lazarus, right? Lazarus was, you guys remember Lazarus? He was raised from the dead. Is Lazarus with us today right now? He's not with us. What happened to Lazarus? He died again. Yeah, he died. Okay. What about the apostles? The apostles, are they with us today? No, they died, right? They, and the apostles were amazing. They were wonderful. They were so full of faith, right? So full of faith, right? But listen, this is, this is that not yet aspect, right? That not yet, right? We know Jesus has defeated death, but we still face death today. We know there's a promise there's a hope in Christ, of course. When we die, we're with him immediately in his presence, right? But one day, Jesus' kingdom will be here on the earth in its fullness, listen, and death will be no more. So what does this mean? Well, it means this. It means that there are two sides, and there are ditches on both sides. Hang with me, church, because this is a bit of theology this morning but I feel like it's necessary, okay? So put your thinking caps on. We're about to go there, okay? There's a ditch on both sides, and we need to avoid both ditches. Now, ditch number one, we'll just say happens over here. It's, it's too much emphasis on the already. Too much emphasis on the already. Now, when you emphasize the already and only the already, you're simply paying attention to the fact that Jesus defeated sin, Jesus has been victorious over death, but you're not... You're not looking forward to, to the blessings of the kingdom or the age to come, which is what? Which is miracles, signs, and wonders. You're overemphasizing the already, and you're just sticking there, and that's it. And what that's called, theologians call this, it's called an underrealized eschatology. Leave that, leave that up there for, for a few moments. This is called an underrealized 
eschatology. Now, some of you, you've come from churches, you had no idea this was happening, but you, you've come from churches that had an under-realized eschatology. They would say, Jesus forgives sins. Amen. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus is victorious over death. That's right. What about signs and wonders? Well, he doesn't do that anymore. What about miracles? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't do that anymore. Right? It's an under-realized eschatology where it's too much emphasis on the already. All right? Now, what is the opposite? On the other side, we have what we call an over-realized eschatology. An over-realized eschatology, right? Jesus won the victory over death, defeated death, hell, and the grave. And therefore, it's too much emphasis on the not yet. And what that means is that some people will say, well, you should never be sick. You should never experience sorrow. You should never struggle in an area in your life. You should never, whatever the case may be. And if you do struggle, it's probably because you have a lack of faith. All right? That's, that's over-realized eschatology, okay? The tendency, now, when we, when we operate with an over-realized eschatology, the tendency, now, I don't, I'm not saying that we do it, okay? But the tendency is that we shame people who are dealing or struggling with an area in their life, okay? We, we, we shame people as if they don't have enough faith, okay? So, if you're here and you're dealing with chronic pain, okay, maybe you're, you, um, maybe it's uh, depression. Maybe it's anxiety, and you're like, I'm praying for breakthrough. I'm, I've tried everything. I've read every Bible verse. I've, I, 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 I've been anointed with oil by elders of the church, and I still have. Pain in my shoulder, pain in my back, pain w- w- wherever it is. Listen, the last thing that we want to do as, as their family, the last thing we want to do is shame them. Amen? All right? We don't, we don't want to heap burdens on them or condemnation. That's the last thing we want to do, right? And I want to encourage you, listen, that if that's, if that's you this morning, listen, we might not live completely in the not yet, but listen, just because we don't see miracles happen as frequently as maybe we think they happen in the New Testament, we shouldn't stop praying. We shouldn't stop believing. So, so let me just encourage you for just a few moments. If you're here, specifically, you, chronic pain, chronic anxiety, depression, I want to just encourage you for, for, for 45 seconds to a minute. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't lose hope, and don't you dare lose the faith. Keep praying. I know that you want to give up. I know that some nights are dark. I know. Some days your families are in tears. I know that you've prayed. I know that you've struggled. I know it seems like it's an absolute war, and it is. But I want to encourage you, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. And church family, if you know these individuals, don't stop praying for them. Okay? Because just because you haven't seen a breakthrough yet, doesn't mean it's not coming. Amen? Amen. Okay? Let me just say that. We sang about this earlier, right? But the question is, are we just going to sing about it or are we going to practice it? Are we going to believe it? 
So I just want, I just want, somebody needs to hear that this morning. Don't give up. Don't give up. Too many people love you. Too many people are for you. Don't give up. Satan hasn't robbed you of your purpose. Listen, walk in your purpose, right? Walk in your purpose through your pain. I don't get it either. I don't know why your prayers haven't been answered yet, but we're going to keep praying for you. And if, you, and if I pray with you, I'm going to pray with the expectation that God is going to move, right? All right, number five. Finally, they were a growing church. They were a growing church. Verse 47, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, okay? Now, Radiant, if there's, any, if there's anything or if there's any challenge for Radiant, I think it's on this one. I think, it's a, I think we're a generous church. I think we're a learning church, right? We're a loving church, okay? We're starting to become more of a, a church with expectation for the miraculous. But I think it's on the, this evangelistic thing that I think we can... We can do a little better, and I'm not, I'm not pointing fingers or making a, a condemning statement by no means, okay? I, I, I simply mean that I think we can continue to invite more people to church, okay? And I, as I was thinking about the faith and about sort of the, 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 the time that we live in, I, I discovered something, and I'll keep it short because I know we're going to wrap up in a few minutes. I discovered something. Um, I discovered that evidence doesn't influence us to what we believe as much as I thought it did, right? A lot of people say, right, well, I need evidence to believe in God, and, and that is part of it, so, so don't get me wrong, but I think there's something more important than just evidence, right, because maybe some of your family members are like, well, I don't, I don't have evidence that God exists, okay? There's something that influences what we believe even more than evidence, and that's community. What's that mean? That simply means the people who are around you, the people who you do life with, that you're around on a regular basis. So what does that mean? That means this. That means getting our unbelieving friends around our believing friends is a big deal, okay? Right? Because it's the community that shapes the way we think and what we do. If there's a way that you can bring your unbelieving friends around your believing friends, right, that's a big deal. Why? Why? Because, because people just need to see the gospel lived out. People just need to see other Christians worshiping together, People need to see other Christians praying for one another. They need to see that. And I, I think that, that makes a, a world of difference. And listen, I know I can be reserved at it too, but I've run into so many people lately who haven't been to church in many years or who are thinking about coming to church. And every single time they're saying, I, I think, I'm thinking about coming to Radiant. And I'm just like, you should. I'll just say you should come to Radiant. In fact, I'm inviting you to come to church. It's very simple. Social media invites are okay. Don't get me wrong. They're okay. They, they work. Personal invites are better, okay? If you, if you run into somebody and they're like, hey, I'm thinking about Christianity or the faith or church and what it entails, invite them right there. Listen, you should come. In fact, I'll make room for you. I'll save you a seat. Whatever the case is, I'm inviting you to come to church. Why? Because getting your unbelieving friends around your believing friends is a big deal, right? And as we continue to do that, more of us, right, we'll see more people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And here's the idea. Listen, the idea is this. Everywhere we look, we see hurting people. We see hopeless people. And, and you know the thing that people, what people need more, they need, they need more than just good counseling. They need more than good therapy. And, and those things are good. 
They need more, though, than good medicine. You know what they need? They need the hope that's found in Jesus Christ. That's what they need, right? So therapy, counseling, um, medicine all have their place, and, and I'm not dismissing that. But what they need more is hope found in Jesus Christ, okay? And so let me review these really quick, and then we'll close, okay? The early church was a learning church, okay? They grew, and they, they were learning the knowledge of, of their Lord Jesus. They were a loving church. They spent a lot of time with one another, okay? So they, they were always together. That's, we, should, we should do that as well. They were a generous church, okay? They sold property, possessions. They wanted to help one another out. A miraculous church. My prayer is that God would increase our expectation of, of what he'll do in our midst, okay? In a growing church. Luke says every single day, God was adding to the number of those who were being saved, okay? We're going to close right now. And speaking of that last point, they were a growing church. I felt this in my spirit yesterday. And I'm just going to take a few moments to just do an evangelistic call. If you're here this morning, listen, and you don't know Christ, I just, I just want to invite you to know Jesus. And I've been thinking about this for the last 24 hours. And it's this. The biggest lie that culture has right now, one of the biggest lies, is that you have to live to make yourself happy. You have to live to, you have to do what makes you happy. And I, I felt the Holy Spirit give this to me yesterday. I kid you not, okay? I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, listen, that some of you, are you're here and you find Christianity attractive. You do. But you're going into it with the same intent or the same lie that culture has told you. You're trying to live, you're trying to explore Christianity with the intent so it can make you happy. Okay? So you're looking to Jesus to make you happy. That is not the way to do it. You know, Jesus is not looking for your happiness necessarily. Now, he, he does want you to be happy to an extent. But what he wants more for you is to be holy. And that's for you to know him. Right? So what he's looking for you, I don't know who it is in here. Maybe it's not even, maybe it's second service. I don't know. But listen, listen. Listen to me for just a moment. Don't come into Christianity looking for something to make you happy. Is Jesus going to be another add-on God to make me happy? No, 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 no. What Jesus wants for you, what will truly give you joy and peace and life, listen, is surrender. Surrender. So listen, listen, listen. What he wants from you is to just bow down. Stop living for yourself. You're living for yourself. You're trying to make yourself happy. You're, you're, you're still living with you on the throne. And you need to de dethrone yourself and put Jesus on the throne. And then when you do that, when you get to a point of surrender, listen, I'm losing my voice. I'm so passionate here. When you get to a place of surrender, then you'll know peace, joy, love, and true life. Right? And that's what he wants for you this morning. Listen, let's pray together right now. Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now with a heart of surrender. And we say, we, we, we're sorry for living for us. We, we repent of, of living or Trying to live Christianity in a way that just makes us happy all the time. That Jesus is just somebody to make me happy. Jesus is somebody to just make my money increase. And Jesus is somebody to just make my marriage better. And Jesus is just somebody to help me uh, in my personal life. Whatever the case is, God, we surrender all of that and we say, Jesus, listen, our life belongs to you. 
and you can just have your way. And so we bow down right now to Jesus. Jesus, Spirit of God, fill our hearts this morning, God. We turn away from selfishness, and we turn to you in total surrender. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Listen, prayer team, would you come?